0: Good morning, brothers and sisters, visitors, and those joining us online. A warm welcome to you all. God in his goodness has brought us here this morning to worship him and to speak to us through the preaching of his holy word. May we be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel and may our praise of his holy name be done in humility and be pleasing in his sight. Consist the following announcements... Sister Karina Decker has arrived with an attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Byford. We welcome this sister into our congregation. Karina, may you soon find your place among us here in Southern River, and may we as congregation be a blessing to you also. This morning, the worship service will be led by Brother Dathan Plater. And let us now praise the Lord with the singing of Psalm 105, verse 1.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Let us rise and worship the Lord. As we come to worship our trying God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this morning. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue and sing praises to our God with the words of Psalm 108, verses 1 and 2. It's this point in our liturgy that we turn to God's covenant law, His Ten Commandments. And as our catechism states, the reason why we often go through the commandments is so that we can look into the perfect mirror of God's law. And one of the, the ways, the reasons for that is so that we see our sinfulness and our need for Christ. And so we'll read God's covenant law as it comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. And in confession, we will sing from Psalm 108, verse 5. Of this psalm, we sang, "Great is our God, your steadfast love, far higher than the heavens above." And then, at the end, we sang, "Now show your might and save your nation to those you love, grant liberation." So, confident of God's mercy and of 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 His salvation, let us now call upon Him in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, Lord, you are merciful. You are abounding in steadfast love. You overflow with love. Your name is mighty and worthy of praise and adoration. Your glory is unmatched, reaching the heavens above. Lord, your rule is just and righteous. Your arm is strong to save. And Lord, it's because of who you are that we cry out to you. It's because of your steadfast love that we lift up our hearts seeking forgiveness for our sins, for the way that we've grieved you. For Lord, you hate sin. You hate it because it's so completely contrary to your character. It's an affront to your holiness. It fills you with great sorrow when we sin. Lord, if you are grieved to see us turn aside from your good commandments to practice that which we've been saved from. To turn back to our slavery. We were bought with a price, and so often we we go back to those chains. Lord daily we see our weakness to stand up against the devil's schemes. He truly prowls around like a roaring lion and, and we really feel the sting of his teeth. Sometimes it happens, Father, that we resolve to change. We maybe even made a New Year's resolution. Only to fall this week miserably when temptation came. Sometimes we ask forgiveness from you. Only to ask forgiveness once again an hour or even a day later. So Father we pray that to us again your favor show. Grant us your aid against our foe. Uphold us as none other can for worthless are the efforts of man. Lord, we know that to be true, and so we pray that you would you'd grant salvation to those you love, and so therefore forgive us, grant that we may experience once again the joy of your salvation, that we would be encouraged by your word, that, would we, that we would be confident in the death of Jesus Christ wherein he crushed our foe, he crushed our enemies, and he enables us to live for him through the power of his spirit so, Lord, we open your word, which is more valuable than gold and and sweeter than the best honey that we can taste. We ask that you would open your scripture, that you would send the Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and with grace. May these words come alive before our eyes so that the good news of the gospel revealed in them would, would shine before us and fill our hearts with delight so that we just cannot help but respond with wonder, with faith, and with trust. Lord, hear us. Hear us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, our intention this morning is to go through Genesis 46. And so just before I read those, those words to you, maybe it's helpful just to recall how the story has progressed up until this point. So if you remember the, the story of Joseph, he was put in a pit by his brothers, and then he was sold into Egypt. and there he, he suffered greatly. He was thrown into prison. But then God, in his goodness, he gave these two officials some dreams, and through those dreams, Joseph interpreted their fate, and that landed him an audience with Pharaoh. And then as he had an audience with Pharaoh, he gained the, the, he was second to the throne. And from there, he, he ruled as a second to Pharaoh himself. And now here we see that there's reconciliation with the brothers. The brothers are forgiven. And that was through those amazing tests that you may recall, where he tested the brothers to see what was in their hearts. And now here we are where the brothers are united, and now we see he's taking care of his, his father's household. And so that's, this is the, the context that we find ourselves in Genesis 46. So let us read God's word together, Genesis 46, and we'll continue to chapter 47, verse 12. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, Carmen, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Zered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah. Whom she bore to Jacob in Padam Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three: the sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Ariel; the sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, with Sarah their sister; and the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Machiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ihi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hashim, the son of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him. And fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please... Let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh And Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. And now we'll also move to the New Testament. We'll read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We'll read from the verses 12 to 22. In this part of the letter, he is explaining why he wasn't able to, to make it to the Corinthians. So chapter one, verse 12 to 22. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. of God's word. Let us now sing from Psalm 91 verses one to three where we praise God for his preservation and care for us. So our text for this morning is Genesis 46 through to 47 verse 12 and since we've read that together we'll proceed to the proclamation of the gospel and then afterwards we'll sing from the same psalm and we'll uh, sing the verses 4 and 5. Dear Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a number of children in our society that grapple with many broken promises. A parent or maybe a guardian promises to care for them, promises that they're not going anywhere, promises them that they might take them somewhere on a weekend, that they're going to be there for them, only for the child to, to watch helplessly from a window as that parent or guardian leaves. Maybe you can quickly think of a a mother or a father, of someone you loved who's done that. Or maybe maybe you can think of your own experiences. And other times children suffer because parents are, are distant, such as a distant father figure maybe. He's made a promise to you at your baptism to care for you, to provide for you but is always absent from your life. Whenever you needed someone to desperately chat to, they weren't there, they were gone on business trips. Or maybe they just constantly said, not now, I'm busy. Now, congregation, we are called children of God. And maybe you have it that when you think of your heavenly father, God, your heavenly father, makes all these promises to you. And maybe there's a little suspicion in your heart of whether or not God will stay true to those promises. Maybe there's a small voice inside of your mind that tells you, well, look at your experiences. God said that he would care for you, but really, has he? You know, maybe you, you hear Sunday by Sunday about how God promises to be with you, how he is in a relationship with you, to care for you. And you hear that and you look at your life. And it just seems like another cliche that is spoken off the pulpit. It's another thing. You see, our God has promised to be with us. He's promised us many things. He's established a covenant. And this covenant goes back to Genesis. As we've seen in in our text previously, we should say as we've seen in, in Genesis, we see that God makes a covenant with his people. He makes a relationship. And he promises them many rich things. That he's going to make them a great nation. That they're going to have land. They're going to have his care and his preservation. That they're going to be the recipients of his blessing. And as we saw previously, these are all the blessings. These are all the promises that, that the writer of Genesis is tracking from one generation to the next. As it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then to the nation of Israel. Israel. And as we've made our way through the Joseph narratives, there are many moments where it seems like God has, has forgotten his people, where God seems to have left them, has walked away from them, that he's not, no longer with them. And yet, as we've seen, as we've been working our way through these chapters, we've seen that even though things appear on the outside as such, God was at work doing what he said he would do, caring for them, preserving them. And here in our text this morning, we see that playing out very beautifully. God is preserving his people. He's fulfilling his promises to them. Or to put it more simply, simply, we see God doing what he says he will do. And So our theme for this morning is your covenant God preserves you and fulfills his promises to you. And to flesh that out, we'll look at three things. Firstly, a great people. Second, a sojourning patriarch. And then third, a blessed pharaoh. So firstly, then a great people. So if you remember, the brothers come to Jacob with amazing news. Joseph is alive. Your beloved son, the son that you thought was dead, is alive. And then Jacob, he hears these words. He sees the royal chariots. And we see that he moves from a place of disbelief to disbelieving for joy. He just can't believe it. All his sons are alive. All of them. Joseph is, as it were, back from the dead. Their fortunes have, have changed dramatically. They went from an, a, a people, a household on the brink of, des- of despair, on the brink of ruin, to all sudden They now are in a place where they're going to be provided for abundantly. So that's the background for verse 1 of our text, where we read that Jacob, he packs up his things and he he heads off to Egypt. It says there, verse 1 So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. So Jacob is on the move. He recognized God's hand in the situation. And it's maybe even probable that he, uh, that he recognized that Joseph's dreams had come true. Joseph had these dreams that he would be a royal figure. And now he receives news from Joseph saying, I am second to the Pharaoh, come to me and I'll provide for you. But the problem is to receive all these blessings, to receive this provision, Jacob has to move away from the land of promise. Those blessings are taking him away from, From God's promise. It's in the wrong direction. And we can't underestimate the magnitude of this. They were heading away from the promised land. The land that God said he would give to his people. It was their inheritance. And note too the text uses not Jacob. But it uses Israel. The name that has changed. Jacob to Israel. And so it's emphasizing that the father of the nation of Israel. Is moving away from the promised land. The land that God had given to his people. And so here we are with Jacob. He's just He's gone to Beersheba. He's just on the border of the promised land. And there he offers sacrifices and he worships God. Seeking permission to leave as it were. And it's here at the edge of the promised land that God he speaks to Jacob. God comes to him and he says in a vision of the night, Jacob, Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, right away, we should ask the question, why would Jacob have been afraid to go down to Egypt? Why would he have tentatively packed up his things and left? Well, if you look previously in the book of Genesis, we see that Jacob's great-grandfather, he had been promised the land And then he goes to Egypt to escape a famine and nearly jeopardizes his family. Think of Abram. God gives him the promise. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to pull you out of the land of the Chaldeans. And I'll bring you to the place where I have prepared for you. And what we see is that Abram, he experiences this famine and he goes to Egypt. And then there, because his wife is is beautiful and stunning, he, he tells the Egyptians, well, she's actually my sister, just to save his skin. And then Egypt, And then the Egyptians tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh takes her into his harem. And without the intervention of God, that would have been the place where the promises stop. Those promises would have come to nothing. It would have just, Israel would have been engulfed by Egypt. And so what we see is that leaving the promised land, especially going to Egypt, it often endangered the, the family of promise. And so this explains why Jacob would have been afraid. Why he would have tentatively gone to Egypt. And that's why he was looking for the Lord's direction in this. And so God, he, he comes to Jacob and he assures him. He assures him of his care. He assures him of his protection. He assures him that his promises are on track. He says to him, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt There, I'm going to make you a great nation. There, I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. I myself will go down with you. I will be there and I will also bring you up. Don't worry, Jacob. My plan for you is is right on schedule. I am with you. And this is a plan to preserve you and to care for you. Your offspring is going to increase and you'll become a mighty people. Our text really emphasizes this point. If you look at Genesis 46, much of Genesis 46 is about Jacob's offspring. It's about his descendants. So Jacob leaves with his whole household. We read that in verse 6 and 7. They also took their livestock and their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him. His sons and his sons' sons with him. His daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. And then if you move to 26... It says, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. All these people had come. All of them. And so why does the Spirit underline this point for us, brothers and sisters? We can see two reasons for this. Firstly, the author is showing us how... This small household would later become a great nation. If you think of the Israelites, who were the first readers of this book, they would read this passage, and they knew that it was in Egypt that they multiplied and that they increased greatly. So much so that they became a national threat to Egypt. And so God was going to use Egypt as a womb, you could say. A womb so that his beloved son Israel would grow into this great nation. So the Spirit is showing us that God is already in the process of fulfilling that promise, that promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will make you a great nation. So that's the first reason. But the second reason we see is that the author tells us this also to show us how God is preserving his people, how he is caring for his covenant people. Notice how not one of Jacob's sons are missing. Not one died in Canaan because of the famine. God protected all of them. He preserved them all. Which is really amazing when you think about it. Because remember Genesis 38, we see that Judah, he went off. He goes down and he hangs out with the Canaanites. And there he nearly, he nearly ruins his family. But then God in his mercy, he brings them back to his people. And then think of uh, Jacob. At one point in the narrative, Jacob is there. One son, two of his sons are in in Egypt. One's no more. And he says, I'm going to go to my grave bereaved of my children. And yet, here, all of them go to Egypt. All of them go out of Canaan. Not one is missing. Not one. And the genealogy further shows that. So we get this long list of names. And the genealogy concludes with the words, all the persons of the house came to Egypt were 70. God was caring for them. And his care was so complete that not one of the, the heads of the tribes of Israel were missing. All of his sons, Jacob's sons, were there. And we can see that just by looking at the list. Now sometimes when we read these names, it's easy to skip them because they don't really mean that much to us. But if you think for the Israelites, this was their people. This was like going to ancestry.com and seeing their family history, their family tree. You know, it'd be like us maybe going to Pro Ecclesiade and reading a biography from, from uh, the Klein family or maybe the Bosfeld family. You know, these are people that we know, these are people that we might even be related to. And so, this is what it was like for the Israelites. They could look at this genealogy and see God's faithfulness. Despite all the twists and turns in Jacob's life, despite all the ups and downs, God was caring for him just as he said he would. What an encouragement that would have been for the Israelites. Just think of them in the wilderness. There would have been many times where they would have wondered if God's promises were really on track whether things were going in the right direction, whether God even cared for them at all. Remember, what was the thing that the Israelites often cried out? Did God bring us here to kill us? Is God really caring for us? If only we could go back to Egypt, because that's where we were really taken care of. And yet in moments like that, when they were struggling, all they had to do was look at these genealogies and be assured of God's care and his provision. God is faithful to his word. And what we see is it's through that preservation of God's people that the promised Messiah came. Matthew makes his point in his genealogy. He opens his book, his gospel, with a genealogy. And once again, our temptation is to skip it and move along to the birth story, the Christmas story. But if we miss it, we miss the same point that the author is making here in Genesis. That God is faithful and he will preserve his people, just as he said he would. Despite all the twists, you look at Israel's history. Despite the rebellion in the wilderness, despite the exile, the deportation to Babylon, the oppression of the Romans, God never loses control of his purposes. And brothers and sisters, this is an encouragement for us. Because maybe you're in a place right now where you're struggling. To believe that God is faithful to his word. You're struggling to believe that God really cares about you. And so what you can do in that moment, if you're in that place, you can look at the genealogy of Genesis here in our text. And the genealogy in Matthew. The genealogy of our Savior. Because that genealogy goes all over the place. And there's so many misfits in that family But every member is important. God preserves everyone. He preserves his people through the generations. He is faithful with his word. And so like Israel, these are your people. These promises are your promises. Which find their their ultimate fulfillment in our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's come. He's fulfilled his promise that God will be with his people. That in him all the peoples will be blessed. And so as you look to the new year, God says to you, he comes to you and he says, I am your God, the God of your fathers. I myself will go with you in this new year. I will care for you just as I promised I would. I will not walk out on you. I will preserve you and be with you. So that brings us to our second point, a sojourning patriarch. Patriarch. So after this a really emotional reunion with his sons, Jacob and his few sons are brought before Pharaoh. And he stands before Pharaoh and Pharaoh asks him, he asks Jacob, he says to him, what is the years, the days of your life? He says to them, how many are the days of the years of your life? Or to put it simply, how old, old are you? To which Jacob responds, the days of the years of my sojournings are 130. Few and evil have been my days, the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojournings. Now, that's not quite the answer Pharaoh was looking for. If you think about it, it's kind of like when you ask someone, how are they going, and they actually tell you how they're doing. It's not really the answer you might always be looking for. Well, Jacob gives Pharaoh the real deal here. His life has been difficult. It's been tough. But yet there's more here than just a complaint that my life has been evil and many are the days of my suffering. You see, part of the reason why his life was difficult is because he lived as a patriarch who didn't see the fulfillment of promises. A lot of the promises that God had given to him, he saw partially or as the letter to the Hebrews says, he saw from afar off. God had given him all these things. And we see that in how he responds to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh asks him, how long are the days and the years of your life? How old are you? And he responds by saying, the days and the years of my sojourning. The days and the years of my sojourning. And he does so in the context of his father's sojournings. He answers the question differently. If we look at Jacob's life, his life had been a period of sojourning, going one place to the next. And even if you look, as he was in Canaan, the promised land, he was a sojourner there. They only had one small cave of burial place that was their own, the cave of Machpelah. And so he was a sojourner. And even though he's going to go into Egypt... And he's going to live in this abundance. He would continue to be a sojourner in Egypt for 17 years. Egypt was not his home. And this is something that Joseph understood as well. God's future for Israel, for his nation, was not in Egypt. It went beyond Egypt. Egypt was not their home. And how do we know this? We know this from verse 34 of chapter 47. So verse 34, jacob Jacob—I mean Joseph, he says to the brothers, he says, I'm, you're going to go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's going to ask you what your occupation is. And he says there, your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth, even until now, both we and our fathers. And he tells them to say that in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Joseph tells them this, he tells them to say this. Because he doesn't want his family to get sucked in by Egypt's pagan culture. He didn't want the brothers to lose sight of God's promises, his rich promises for them, as they were kicking up their feet in Egypt. You see, he commanded them to honestly explain their trade to Pharaoh. And by doing that, he was ensuring that the people of promise would not be threatened by famine or by mixed marriages. No father in Egypt would have let his son or his daughter be married to an Israelite because they were shepherds. And so that meant that Egypt acted like an incubator for God's people. The nation dwelt in the best of the land, abundantly provided for, and there they could grow and grow and grow, safe from external threats. And so in this way, Egypt became a bit of a safe haven for the people of God, a place of care, a place of preservation. And we see a similar thing in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the fulfillment of God's promises were coming, the the Messiah was coming, but then what you see in Matthew's gospel in chapter 2, that those promises are threatened right, right away by Herod, who plots to kill all the baby boys of Bethlehem. And so God tells Joseph and Mary. And what does he say to them? He tells them to go down to Egypt. Matthew 2 verse 14. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Egypt became a safe haven. Even for the Messiah, the Christ. Where he lived free from all these external threats. And so God preserved the Messiah. And in doing so, he protected the very plan of salvation. Now, why is it so crucial for Israel to remain separate? Was it some sort of racial superiority? You know, we are the people of God and they're, they're just low life. Well, no, congregation. God's promises meant that Egypt wasn't, as I said before, Egypt wasn't Israel's final stomping ground. God had better things in store for them. You see, it would have been tempting for Israel's, for, for Jacob's sons, to just forget in all their abundance the promised land that dry and barren land, and to get sucked into the luxuries of Egypt. But they were merely sojourners. It wasn't their home. Now maybe you see where this is going. Because just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of us here together, we are sojourners in this world. Peter, the Apostle Peter, he highlights this in his letter. He begins the letter by talking about elect exiles, people who are strangers, Estranged from the world. But they're citizens of heaven. They're citizens of another country. And later he says this in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and elect exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This life is not your home. This life is not all there is. Don't get sucked in. By all the riches and all the abundance and all the passions that you can experience here in this life. Because these wage war against your soul. God has promised you a world, one hereafter, the new heavens and the new earth. This is what funerals remind us of, don't they? They remind us that all the abundance in this life, it isn't all there is. It's tempting, isn't it, to, be, to become very home. Very much at home here. And isn't one of the reasons why we can easily become home and we can easily get distracted here is because sometimes we struggle to believe that God will do what he says he will do. We struggle to believe God's promises. We look at the twists, the turns in our lives and we think to ourselves, is God really caring for us? And so we say, well, I'll just start investing here. Now we might not say that out loud, but maybe that's what we experience We get disillusioned. It's so tempting for us, isn't it? And yet God has promised us an eternal home, an an eternal inheritance. He tells us that this isn't our home. As Paul writes later in, in Philippians 3, verse 18 to 20, he says, For many, as I have told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly." And in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, where we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. And the reason we can be confident of that is because our citizenship was obtained for us. It was secured for us by the suffering of Jesus Christ. He secured that eternal inheritance for you by His death. He opened a way so that you who were once alienated, far away from God, can now be called citizens of the Most High. So like Jacob, like Jacob's household, God will also preserve you in your sojournings here in this world so that you reached that inheritance that he's purchased for you, that he's purchased by his blood. Now, congregation, there's something that's quite remarkable that happens right at the end, uh, towards the end of our text, in Genesis 47. So, Joseph, he brings uh, Jacob, his father, before Pharaoh. And what we see is that twice, we read that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Verse 7, it says, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And we can't fly over that detail because it is highly significant. And once again, it displays God's faithfulness. Remember, God promised that Israel would be a blessing. They would be blessed and a blessing to other nations. Genesis 12, verse 3, God says, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that promise is repeated in chapter 18 and chapter 22. Where he restates the promise and he says, In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. However, as we've been working through Genesis, we've seen that this only appears in glimpses. And in many situations, God's people are more of a curse than a blessing to the people around them. Think of Abram. Abram goes off to Egypt, and what happens? Sarah goes into the harem of of Pharaoh and God curses Pharaoh's household. Or think of Tamar's experiences that we heard about in Genesis 38. She was oppressed by the people of God. So much for a household of blessing. But here we see this promise being fulfilled for God's people. Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, he blesses Pharaoh. And that sequence is quite striking. Jacob is just a mere sojourner, and he said this by his own words. He's a leader of a comparatively small group of people. And yet he takes the initiative, and he blesses the most important ruler in that time. The most powerful nation in the world. He blesses Pharaoh, even before Pharaoh speaks. Now, the reason why this is significant is because normally the superior blesses the inferior. The greater blesses the lesser. We know that from Hebrews 7, verse 7. It says there, it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And then, based on that fact, he goes on to to make a theological point. So he says it's a simple fact the greater blesses the lesser. And yet, over here, it's turned around the lesser blesses the greater. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, as one author writes, that there are not just two individuals coming together that are meeting each other, but it's two nations. One of them embryonic, small, in form, and the other the most powerful nation in the world. The irony is impossible to miss. What we see is that the hope of the world, it doesn't come from Egypt, this powerful nation, but blessing comes from this decrepit and broken Israel. And not from the dominant and strong Egypt. And we see that this continues in Genesis 47 where Joseph blesses the Egyptians by his, his policies. He saves them. And again, if we think of those Israelites making the long trek through the wilderness, what an encouragement that would have been for them. You know, while they journeyed along, they saw all these great nations who were well-established That they had to go to war against. Which was fearful for them. And yet the hope of the world didn't come from those nations. It didn't come from those strong and mighty powers. No, it came from the nation of Israel. This is what we saw previously in our Christmas sermon. Remember if a human planned salvation. The savior wouldn't have come from Bethlehem. He would have been born in a palace in the Roman emperor. He wouldn't have come from the decrepit, small, broken town of Bethlehem, from a nation that was under oppression. But it was in Israel that the Savior was born. That is where God showed salvation. It's in the household of Jacob that the world was blessed by our Savior, that you are blessed by our Savior. And so what we see is that Jacob blessing Pharaoh, it was a partial fulfillment of a promise that ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Through him, blessing comes to all those who believe, not just to Israel, but to all who believe in Jesus Christ. And so to end this sermon, brothers and sisters, we see that our our covenant God, he cares for his people. He does what he says he will do. He promised to bless them. He promised to be with them. And just as he promised and he was true to his word then, so is he true to his word now. He will preserve you. He will care for you. Because of Jesus Christ, we can be assured of this. That God, that we can cast all our anxieties on him because he indeed cares for us. Because of Jesus Christ, we can trust his word. God is not going to be that father or that parent or guardian who makes a promise and walks out on us. But no, he'll be with us. He'll care for us. You see, this is what Paul highlights in his letter to the Corinthians. That's why we read it. Does God say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? No, in him, every word that he says is a resounding amen. It is a yes because of our Savior. He will be with you and watch over you. For all the promises, as it says in 2 Corinthians 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So congregation, as you continue in this new year, know that God will do what he says he will do. He will preserve you and he will care for you. You can be sure of that because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing of God's preserving care and his love in Psalm 91 verse 4 and 5. This morning, we will remember a few things so firstly, we will thank God that our brother John Jansen is worshiping with us after he was uh, he was in hospital for a bit this week and we'll we 'll also pray specifically for the Jansen family as our brother lost his brother in law uh, in in Holland he passed away, and his burial was this past friday and so we 'll pray for the Jansen family as this is another death, especially in our our brother John's extended family. And then we'll also uh, thank the Lord for a number of things. We'll thank the Lord for the fact that George and Elaine Brinks can celebrate their 30th anniversary. So we'll praise God for his goodness to them. And we'll also pray that God will bless the new member that we have in this church, Corinna Decker. So let us pray together. God... In heaven, we thank you that you are so trustworthy. We thank you that you never turn your back on your word. That you never turn your back on us. But you've promised to care for us. You've promised to be with us, to preserve us. And you will do that. What a wonderful comfort this is. For Lord, we live in a world full of broken promises. And so we praise you that you fulfill your word. We've seen this in the life of Jacob. You promised to go with him. You promised to bless him, to make his family great. And this is exactly what you do for him. You took this shattered and this broken family and you led them to a place of abundance. You preserved them. And so, Father, if this is who you were back then, then we can be so sure that this is who you are today because you never change. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to trust your word Sometimes we can despair of your care. We can question your goodness and your promises to us. And so, Lord, we pray that every time we say amen, help us to remember that you have kept the longest standing promise of all by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sin and to triumphantly rise again from the grave. Help us, O oh Lord, to have confidence that you will fulfill all those Promises of the gospel. A promise to lead us to an eternal inheritance. A promise that you will be our God. That you will make us holy. The great promise that you wash away all our sins. Father, this is who you are. Father, we also bring before you various needs of our congregation. Lord, we give you thanks that our brother John Jansen can be with us this morning worshiping. Father, we don't take this lightly. Lord, we... We are so grateful that he is here, especially after all the things that he's been through and experienced. He was in hospital again. Father, we pray that you would continue to watch over our brother. Be with him as he receives treatment. Be with uh, Francis as well and the rest of the family. Lord, as this is a tough time for them. Lord, we thank you for his trust, for his conviction that you indeed will will hold him fast. That you will bless him and that you will be with him and hold him to the end. And, Father, we pray, too, that you would watch over them because of the passing of his brother-in-law in Holland. Lord, this is another death. It's another confrontation with the end of life. Lord, it's such a final reality. And, Lord, this is what we experience on this side of the grave. But we thank you that there is hope beyond the grave, that there is hope for us in heaven, where we will be united with all the saints, where we will worship you, our Lord and our Savior. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with him and you would care for those who are others in the congregation who are undergoing various treatments or other care from doctors or physiotherapy and whatnot. We pray that you would watch over them, that you would bless them, bless the care that they receive. Father, we thank you for your goodness to watch where we live uh, in in a country where we have such good medical care and attention that we can receive. Lord, this is your grace to us and we are so grateful for it. Father, we also praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We think particularly of your goodness towards George and Elaine Brinks, who are celebrating 30 years uh, of marriage. Lord, what a wonderful gift this is. We praise you for your faithfulness to them, and also that you have sustained them so that they could be faithful to their vows, that you have taken them through all the twists and the turns of their lives, and that you have, uh, that you have blessed them and that you've cared for them. And we pray also as they look to a new year of marriage that you would continue to grow their love for each other and their love for you. And we pray that you would also bless them as as members of this church. We thank you for them, and we pray that we also would receive, um, we would be blessed by their gifts as well. Father, we pray also for Karina Decker. We thank you that she could join our church, become a member. We pray that you would be with her, that she would find a, a place and community and a home here with us, that she would experience uh, a nice welcoming and a welcomed uh, community. We pray that you would surround her and bless her, and we look forward to getting to know her. Father, we pray that you would be with us in the rest of this day. Watch over us as we enjoy a day of rest, a day to worship you, a day to celebrate your goodness to us, and we pray all of this in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. you now have an opportunity to give of your your thank offerings to the lord uh, the offering is for the ministry of mercy particularly fair haven and after the offering we'll sing together from hymn 78 verses 1 to 3 4 and 5 See the blessing of the God who will care for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.